Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, how's everyone doing? Yeah, so um, we got with us, this is a continuation of an episode of Plan A that I guess started on last weekend and we decided instead of cross-posting, what we could do instead was just uh, have part one over there and part two, because I was thinking there's a lot of uh, follow-up we can do to that last episode. So I'm going to go in, uh, I'll go in alphabetical order. So we can start with our uh, Chris, if you can introduce uh, yourself and where to find you. Hey, what's up? I'm Chris, I'm a creator, writer, and podcaster for Plan A. I uh, also started a new podcast called Unverified Accounts, which is kind of like Escape from Plan A, but we focus on arts and culture. My Twitter handle is at jesuintoast, J-E-S-U in toast. You can find me there. And thanks for having us on again. Yeah, and we have Teen. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for coming. Hey, how's it going? Um, yeah, I mean, same. But Chris and I started uh, Plan A together a while back with some other friends. Um, and I, I I run the pod mostly, uh, uh, Escape from Plan A. And uh, yeah, last time we talked on your pod, I think we, I think we talked about that movie uh, Burning. And um, it's good to be back, man. Yeah, you know, um, I was I was thinking about like stuff we could talk about, and it's kind of funny how I was thinking. Okay, I feel like we exhausted so much stuff, and then next time we can go even deeper. But then a lot of new fuckery happens, so I feel like there's always like new um, build up to uh, uh, scrape off. Like the thing that well, first let's contextualize what the last episode was about. We were kind of talking about Asian American advocacy and Black American advocacy and how they seem to be kind of uh, swapping in you know the tenor of the you know discussions. Like I'll give a good example of something I saw today. There was something that went up about how Asian people are buying guns more and more in light of all these attacks and everything and a lot of people were like good like you know it's time to um you know be ready to shed blood and everything we gotta like arm ourselves and that was like a big you know way of talking in the black community about you know the right to bear arms and you gotta show you're willing to use guns too and everything that that was one example of uh a recent one i saw that's real, man. I was at the shooting range for the first time in a while, like uh, last weekend. And uh, and I came out and there was like a Asian couple in their 60s rolling up and they, they were both packing. And I was like, yeah. Oh, wow. nice. And they gave me like, a, they gave me a little bit of a, a very little slight head nod. And it was kind of like, like Asian people out there, like there is a, it's in the, it's in the ether, you know, like people are, they're, they're, they're arming up. Yeah, I mean, this is a bit of a tangent from what we want to talk about, but it does feel like the stigma of like being against gun control is wearing off because it's become so, I think, abused by mainstream liberals to demonize, like, for example, like Bernie Sanders was infamously kind of eh on gun control, especially in 2016. And they made it seem like that was the end of the world. And with all this violence going on, I feel like, like 10, 20 years ago, if you were purportedly liberal or leftist and you were 
against gun control, you you were just seen as a total savage, a rube and everything. But I think it's wearing off now. Yeah. And I don't really think it's a tangent as far as the broader point of the, um, you know, switching in how politics is being discussed. The, the reason I say that is because, uh, I mean, it really is uh, a change in, in tone. But also, I think, I feel like a lot of these um, bourgeois black pundits and everything are kind of trying way, way more to be uh, this kind of um, model minority type of vibe in their writing and stuff. And I feel like it would not be weird at all to see one of these blue check black writers uh, talk about how, well, I'll give, I'll give a little bit of a broader example. I, I see like these, when the ice cage discussion was happening a couple of years ago, there were a lot of, uh, Black writers writing in a very kind of first world, we're worried about the same thing you white liberals are type of way, you know, where it's like, this is not what we're about. You know, we don't put people in cages. We're so privileged. And, you know, who's going to, um, you know, take care of these these Mexicans? We have to worry about the, you know, least among us. And the way that they were kind of trying to, virtue signal on it was a way that reminded me very much of how white people kind of virtue signal for other races in a way that was kind of like, when I was thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, you guys have like good jobs at the New York Times or, you know, prestigious, whatever. But I mean, black people still have a lot of problems that are comparable to those immigrants uh, uh, overall on a whole. But there's such a we've arrived kind of uh, vibe to a lot of this black blue check writing now. You know, like when Donald Trump was talking about how, uh, hey, black America, what do you have to lose? Your neighborhoods are this and that. You know, he was kind of talking about the overall uh, state of like black wealth and everything. You know, but uh, Angela Rye and a bunch of other people took a lot of offense. And Angela Rye went on CNN and she was like, I'm not in the hood. I have a lot of friends that are doctors and lawyers and we're all doing great, you know, and she was more offended at the implication that, you know, all black people were in the hood and she wanted to make sure it was known that she and her friends, a lot of them went to like Ivy schools, were doctors, lawyers, um, MBAs and all this stuff. And I think overall what Trump was saying was uh, in a way kind of true about the state of overall uh the community overall, like very much still like Angela Ryan, all those types are like exceptions. But with this new black excellence, with this new black excellence narrative, uh, there's this kind of way that a lot of these people are portraying themselves as being as privileged and having the same um, class problems as their white peers in the in the newsroom and that this is becoming the new normal for um, black people. You know, you know, that makes it's like a thing that. I'm that's coming together now, but I I feel like looking back, the moment the inflection point I suspect was Obama's election because I want to say that Obama represented in many ways sort of like um, a point where I think like the Asian and black ships like passed in the night because Obama if it was in many ways like a very relatable person for Asians uh, when he first came on the scene, if you listen to that speech of his. Uh, you know, the two, I think it was the 2004, um, DN, uh, DNC where he gave the headline speech. And if you go back and listen to it, it's not really 
like a black speech so much as an immigrant speech. It's very interesting. Um, if you go and listen to that, it was a very much an immigrant type story that he was identity that he was portraying. And later when the, you know, the birther stuff came out, there was, you know, this idea that as a black man, he wasn't, you know, his, his, even his Americanness, his foreignness, uh, he was presumed to be a foreigner. That didn't strike me as a particularly black stereotype. That struck me as an Asian stereotype, the perpetual foreigner thing. And so there were aspects to him that I felt Asians understood, but in a sort of like, as an oppressed minority or marginalized minority or whatever, like we are, you know, they don't see us as American and, you know, and, 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 and that was what Obama represented. Whereas after, by the end of uh, his two terms, I remember reading, um, what was that article? It was the one about the, the, uh, the big like blowout party at the White House where it was like um, most, uh, it was either mostly or almost all black guests. And, uh, you know, it was a story about, it was just this feeling in the air of like how we've arrived and stuff. Was that by Ta-Nehisi Ta-Nehisi, Coates? Yeah, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Okay. And um, I read that and I just thought, this is, I, th- I feel like black people had a very different, or at least, um, you know, the ones at that party <laughs> had a very different view of Obama uh, than Asian people did. Because I think we saw Obama as like a symbol of how we were excluded and sort of like the dark side of being the model minority. And um, I don't know if this is if this is making sense, but we saw Obama from the bottom, and I feel like a lot of like the black excellence crowd, as you call it, saw him from the top. Is that? I think a lot of Asians thought Obama was proof that you could be accepted. Uh, I certainly saw him like that when I was younger. I think Eddie Huang in his book writes similarly about how he saw that 2004 speech and was like totally blown away. Uh, so for Asians who've always felt like outsiders, like, wow, this Obama guy, he may not be Asian, but he is enough like me that if he can become president, that's evidence that the barriers aren't so depressingly insurmountable. You know, you said, you said that, uh, it was a very Asian, um, the speech had a lot of Asian, um, attributes to it, but I would say not really Asian, but, but immigrant, I would say it had a lot of immigrant. immigrant added things about it, but that, uh, I feel like Asians out of all groups are, the most defined by you know the immigrant story or at least or at least um their fiction and everything is you know so so focused on that because i feel like um you don't really get a lot of white immigrant stories anymore like unless they're old you know what i mean like um you don't really get a lot of those black immigrants in america i think take the easy way out to a degree as far as just kind of blend in and um, in an almost don't ask, don't tell way, just kind of blend in with like black Americans. So if you see a show like Insecure, the fact that Issa Rae has like uh, her character is like half Nigerian doesn't really come up. You can watch like whole seasons and not catch it or, you know, it's like a or in a movie like a, the, the sorry, not movie, the series Atlanta, Lakeith Stanford's character is um, is. Nigerian, Nigerian, and right, they didn't yeah. bring it up to like the very end, you know. Um, yeah, even uh, even Paperboy doesn't know, right? He's like, "Shit, you're Nigerian." I think he's like, he says something like that when he finds out, and they've been friends for years. Yeah, something. Yeah, I, I forgot about that part, but yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, so so I think because to give a contrast, if you look at black fiction and stuff in England, you know, like those black those black shows that they have in, uh, they play up that the people are from. Jamaican or Nigerian 
or whatever background big time. Like, you know, they'll have it'll be the same type of shows that uh, people tend to associate with Asian people, Asian Americans, you know, with like the parents that are kind of like cringy in the culture clash and all that stuff. Black shows in England are like full of that. You know, and I was kind of complaining one time. I was like, you know, it kind of annoys me that there's not any real good black American shows about being a first or second generation American. You know, they always kind of background it and let you, you know, they hide the parents away somewhere most of the time or, you know, they only come around once once in a while. And then Teen said something similar. Teen said, or Teen said something um, interesting. He said, that's interesting because Asian people complain that they're sick of the immigrant story being the only Asian American story. They like, you know, uh, one that's a little more um, assimilated. I think the example you might have brought up was, uh, is it Better Day Tomorrow? What's that? Better Luck, better better luck, luck tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Better Luck Tomorrow. Where which was you actually know, produced by MC Hammer, which is which is an interesting thing. But anyway, yeah. oh, I did not know that. Yeah. yeah, I didn't see that one. But from what I understand, like like the immigrant stuff is kind of backgrounded. They're just kind of American Americanized uh, Asians. Yeah, like they don't even. It's it's kind of like um, it, it almost reminds me of. And I wonder to what extent the director Justin Lin had saw movies like Boys in the Hood and, and thought, what if, what if I try to make a movie in that st- like uh, in that style where I follow like four you know um, Asian American uh, teenagers, young your younger very young men in Los Angeles or in Southern California and what their lives really are like. Um, and not, and really, their lives together as a, as a crew, not not you know within the context of their families or whatever. Their families never even are on the screen. So I think it's that it, it was that kind of movie, but it, but but not you know it wasn't like uh, you know I think it took place in a real sort of middle class Asian American setting. It, it didn't try to pretend like Asian Americans uh, you know grew up in in South Central and and lived that kind of life, you know. So are we going to talk about bad sex writing? Isn't that what this episode's about? Uh, yeah. I mean, in general, the episode is going to be about, uh, you know, f- the flip-flopping of um, the discourse. And that was one of um, the things that I want to talk about was the... Um, but this one, I think, might be more a convergence than a, than a swap. Um, with, with, this is a book that is... I don't know much about this author, but this is Roxane Gay and Aro Kwan. I should put Aro Kwan first, because I think it's actually her um, edited... And What's it called? Anthology, right? Is that, is that what it's called? A compilation? Yeah, I think it's like... Yeah, it's a bunch of I think short stories or essays. Uh, yeah, something like that. It's yeah. It's it, she like compiled it. Does an anthology have to be by one um, person and a bunch of different stories, or or does this count as an anthology? Oh yeah, it is an um, anthology. It actually says it in the article. I think it'd be both. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Aro Kwan um, is the uh, person who put this together, but I instinctively put Roxanne Gay first because she um, is. I think the bigger, bigger name, name, the bigger draw. Yeah. And one thing I was going to say about um, Aro Kwan's story, I don't know if her story in the anthology, the anthology is called Kink, right? I don't know if her story in the anthology is uh, the same one that's the Playboy story that you sent and she just like reused it because she did some kind of um, dominatrix story in Playboy. And I think she said that's what gave her the idea to make a whole whole book about it. But I was going to say that story wasn't as badly written as I expected it to be. Because when I heard this woman was doing an anthology and 
Roxanne Gay was going to be part of it. I was expecting a lot worse writing as far as like the prose. It was still not a good story. I'm just saying it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I thought it would be like... Like, what were you expecting? Like, like, in, like fearing? Well, Roxanne Gay's writing to me is very juvenile. This was like competent. They weren't like tortured. There weren't tortured uh, similes and metaphors and uh, kind of soy, di- soy dialogue. Like, like, you know, where they try to write jokes and they're like really bad Joss Whedon type. Like a lot of these people just write really bad young adult style writing, but uh, for adults, whereas her writing didn't have much flair or interesting prose. Like it wasn't like there was any turn of phrase that was like, wow, that's a great uh, turn of phrase. But it was just very utilitarian and Spartan. Like it just like he did this. She did that. This happened. That happened. Nothing I can get excited about, but nothing that was prose-wise, especially um, cringe. The interesting thing is, uh, so like starting this year, I, I made I, I made it my mission to kind of just like go through a lot of contemporary Asian American novels, even ones I'd been like been on my like shit list for a while. I'm like I should actually read these. Uh, so Quan uh, had this book that came out, I guess like three years ago, called The Incendiaries. It was so fucking bad. It was just like. It, there are very few books I just I like, can't finish, but I couldn't finish it. And and the interesting thing is the prose is exactly the opposite of what you said was competent about it. It was like very consciously mannered, like like purple prosy, very strained. Um, I think attempts to be poetic to the point where the sentences didn't even seem to really connect. Uh, it would just like jump around, and I was just like, oh fuck this, with like a few pages. You know, to go there. I'll just say I read it if anyone asks, but uh, you know, this this is no good. So it was very weird to uh, read this story. I don't think writers should only write in one style; they should experiment. But because it was so different, it was it was quite a surprise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you find that one was better than her book or? Well, this was at least readable. I I found her book like borderline. Well, like I I said I couldn't even finish it. And that's uh, the kind of prose that I was expecting. Maybe a short story forces her to kind of rein in maybe some of those type of flourishes that I that I was expecting. Mm-hmm. I mean, we said it was unreadable. Like, okay, have you read any of the hate you give? Uh, I think I've read a little bit of it. Um, I was asking because I was looking for like a point of reference as comparison. Uh, mm-hmm. As but far as what her prose think, was like, I think because that was bad prose. Is, yeah, but I think the Hitchu gives like standard kind of like YA prose, right? Where um, I would characterize it primarily as um, it moves way too quickly. Like you know, people will like just like physically, characters would just be from like going to school to home to this, and and it is actually very difficult to keep up because uh, you know from the first to the fourth sentence they've already moved location just because I think the the writers aren't slowing down. It's it's almost like a, a movie script, which wouldn't surprise me. They're probably just thinking of the movie in their head because they're just ready to make it into a movie. Uh, there's no real like time to pause and, and process things. And everybody talks like they're they're like trying to they're always joking, it, it seems like, you know. I think that's what you're talking about, the soy banter, right? Um, yeah. The best friend uh, rolls up in his bike and, and he makes a quippy joke and then the main character gets him back with another quippy joke and he's like, oh fuck this shit. Yeah, yeah, the whole, the whole quippiness. Yeah, I thought I was going to have like a lot of that, but just like with Kink, because a lot of these people, they all kind of write, write that way. Yeah, but, um, you know, it, it, it was, when I was reading it, I was kind of thinking to myself, um, I, 
is a character is a couple gonna be where she's asian and he's white because i just thought that would just be like super cliched and sure enough i mean that's like standard for any asian american novel especially by an asian american woman i mean that's just a fact uh that's not a judgment call or anything that's simply a fact yeah i was kind of hoping that they wouldn't even bring up their race at all and in a way they kind of didn't bring up the guy's race but it's highly implied that, he, that he's that he's white I, I feel. Yeah, well, he says, like, he's Canadian, and technically that counts as second generation. Be like, okay, well, if he was, say, another Asian, you would have just said so without technically that counts. It would have been like, oh, yeah, his, his parents are from China or Taiwan. They also minimize the... They also minimize the... This is what I found interesting. is like, they minimize the fact, the interracial dynamic, but they sort of amplified the sort of, like, he's... Uh, he was... Uh, a Protestant and she's Catholic. And um, what I found interesting though, was that why not just like not mention the race? Because there are, I think there are only two places where it's mentioned that she's Korean, but it came in very like through the back door. Like, um, yeah, I'm looking at a part and it's like, okay, yeah, they're both second generation Americans. Um, you know, they, she was Catholic and this was, her desire to be beaten was counteracting her feminism, her quasi Victorian and entirely Korean squeamishness regard. And that's it. That's, it's just sort of like casually flung in there. But I, I think that it was very well thought out as to like how to casually fling that it wasn't, you know, it's almost trying to pass off as like a, oops, I, yeah, I guess I said it. It doesn't really matter, but it was an intentional, you know, this is a, this is a white male, Asian female thing, but trying to minimize the focus on the race. I, I also know, though, that the, the writer, she also ha- comes from a very religious background, which I think she's like no longer anymore. Like her, her novel is also a lot about religion. Um, but did you guys catch how she said that her boyfriend's like fantasy woman is Natalie Portman? And she says that kind of like, oh, so unoriginal. I thought that was very telling that she slipped that in there. Oh, I actually missed that part. Yeah, she 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 basically says like his uh, his fantasies are kind of basic. He wants to do threesomes. And uh, he likes cheerleader outfits and his, he like idealizes Natalie Portman. So I was like, okay, that's, uh, I can kind of see what's going on here. It feels like there's this. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> he has a, he has a, he has the hots for his teacher, Miss Barrymore from the sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and unoriginally enough for Natalie Portman. Yeah. So, so it's he's like, like, it's like black, a very like, white, all American taste. Yeah. And I think she has a little insecurity about where she fits in, which is why they, they're doing this, maybe this, I guess, an M thing. Maybe she's like, and I, uh, in our discussion, that was one of the points we raised about how as a woman of color, she can offer this different like thing. And, and it's, you know, the, all the power to you, but then they got to find a way to make it woke and progressive somehow, as opposed to, I don't know, just trying to compete with white women or something. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it was... I mean, yeah, I mean, the fact that the way she was playing with the race, first off, it has nothing to do with really the, uh, like, they could have left this raceless, to be honest, and it would have worked fine. Like, nothing about any of that uh, had anything to do, but it seemed to be there for... It is pretty much raceless, except for her. We don't know the race of the... um uh, of the dominatrix. That's that's true. I mean, she describes her as like an Amazon. So I, I just I just Amazonian, picture like a yeah. like a really tall kind of like Viking looking like woman. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, she could have been um, black or ethnic, just some kind of ethnic too, maybe. But I, I feel think the like one thing you know she about her is she's, she's not Asian. That's yeah. the only racial information you have. That's true. Pretty much. But, but I feel like she would have brought up if she was not white. I feel like there's a way that white is default and normative in this that is very interesting uh to me but yeah i get the sense that she was probably white but it, but it was it was it was it was weird that um she makes a point to put all this stuff and it seems to be for no other reason to allow for self-insertion which is the way in which it was kind of cringe ya uh to me but you know the actual prose itself was just very spartan and and got the point across the story itself i just thought was kind of pointless and bad but at least the actual prose was, I mean, especially when I, you know, when she was talking about that she likes Roxanne Gay a lot, you know, I was like, okay, so, because I think Roxanne Gay is a pretty bad, bad stylist as far as a pro stylist. I think yeah. she might have just been kissing her ass a little bit. Yeah, I feel like you you got to say that. Uh, when you're in that circle, you can't badmouth Roxanne Gay, all right? So, <laughs> um I don't. I don't know if you guys have you guys ever tried like reading kind of like amateur pornography that that people write online. Uh, I mean, mm. it's very amusing if if you try it. It, it, it sort of kind of reminded me of that just because like some because like the well, story it's, it's it's written in Playboy. I mean, it's kind of for that, right? Yeah, because uh, like, I think story... it means more the amateur part because this does feel like fan fiction. Everything these people write is fan fiction, even when it's not pornography, like just a regular novel, it feels like fan fiction. So it makes sense to me that the pornographic writing would feel like amateur um, porn writing because that is porn fan fiction. Mm, yeah. Even the whole premise with like the, uh, you know, the, what, the the husband's like a financier or something, right? And and the, and the kind of demure wife and it, it just read very much like porn. <laughs> okay, so my, here's my take on this story as, as I was reading it. I mean, first it's, it's written in Playboy. It's it, the, the, the entry point into this is through the guy. He's, it doesn't matter what he is. He's, I think he's sort of like, it's kept raceless just so like, it's kind of understood that the one person that's sort of like real here is the focus is on, um, uh, uh, Jenny, the, the Asian woman, the wife. And it kind of read to me a little bit like, um, I always come, you know, I, I swear to God, uh, Trevor, I don't always talk about this until I come on to your pod, but it, it reminded me of the whole Jungian thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, but instead of, you know, uh, instead of, um, you know, Ed Norton and, uh, and Brad Pitt, it's her and this Amazonian, um, you know, mistress, uh, uh, dominatrix. And it seemed to be sort of like, you know, almost like a the dominatrix was like her sort of like unleashed, you know, it or uh, it or something. And and it, she, it was everything that she really wanted to be on the inside, powerful, ready to beat her husband, uh, ready to, you know, be just like unrestrained in her sexuality and stuff. And it 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 wasn't really even drawing a distinction and then sort of towards the end, it, it shows how, you know, he's barely turned on by her, but then seeing her almost kiss the Ava, the dominatrix, they were kind of sort of like converging into like, a, you know, one person. And that was turning him on. This, well, he's you know, also into threesome, so that could have just been that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it, it's it's more about... Uh, to me, it was more about because because she kept saying like she had this inner need to be hit and um, she had these inner passions that w weren't being expressed 
And that is kind of what they were saying about the book, Kink, right? Was to say, like, there's these unexplored things you don't know about me. And and I felt like that's what this was. It was almost like the uh, female fight club, but for uh, for men to see. And, you know, the reason why we're talking about this story and how it ties into um, Asian American and um, Black Black American, and I'll say all POC writing uh, these days, is that there's this kind of, and I think in a way, it's a kind of assimilation anxiety. For, for First, I'll say this. Uh, we're talking about in the ways that they um, switch, but I think there's also a way that they kind of converge. Like maybe if a lot of Black writing and Asian writing is outright swapping, I think there's also a place in which they pass each other. And I feel like the blue checks are, a lot of them, a lot of the Asian blue checks I th- and the black blue checks, I think, are in a place where um, it's two ships in the night meeting. And I said this on the show we recorded last week, that blue checks are more like each other than they are um, any other part of their identity. Like um, mm, two yeah. blue checks are more like that, like a black male blue check and a white female blue check are more alike to each other than that black male is to your average black male. And that white woman is to your average white woman like it's his own mindset it should be a personality test like you know infp and all this you just have blue check just be like the fifth e-l-u-e but yeah yeah that should be the fifth myers <laughs> the fifth myers briggs and yeah and i feel like that these uh poc blue checks they just are um one of the topics that they're converging on is this idea of kink i don't know what it is about kink where they almost feel and it doesn't matter if it's in academia if you're in academia you have to performatively be into kink and talk about it you know studying uh, if you're a tv writer a movie writer uh book whatever uh, kink makes you feminist kink makes you um racially transgressive and even better if you're a woman of color feminist, then you really have to be um, into kink. But it's also interesting that I don't really feel that straight black men are really, or straight Asian men or straight, any men of color are really invited to the party. I feel like it's yeah, this white th- th- men th- this- yeah, who are invited to the kink, gay men of color and, and gay and straight uh, women of color. But um, I guess white women aren't maybe involved. No, they are. It's, they, it's a 50 aren't? shades of gray. This stuff is hunting down 50 shades of gray and it's the same thing. It's, it's, I mean, to me, kink is a way of, if this is called kink, I don't know if this is part of the, Oh, I guess this story kind of kicked it off. The way I read it, I'm like, it's pretty basic, right? It's always a white dude in finance. It's always a bunch of women who want to get beat by him and win his, uh, win his sexual attention. And then happily but, ever after, right? And just, yeah, and wrap it up in a sort of like, this is a very complex identity. This is, this is a very like impenetrable thing. Like this is a very, this is a very, this is like a woman's true desire and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but it's not, it's not really that interesting, is it? Like you see this the second, I mean, the thing about this story is it's fucking boring. It's like, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a couple that goes to a dominatrix in Chelsea. Yeah. And there's some spanking. It's very bourgeois. Like the stuff they talk about. I mean, this is not something that poor people really do. You have to be somewhat educated. You have to be somewhat of means to hire a dominatrix. Uh, And I feel like in a way, a lot of this is, um, you know, I was talking about assimilation anxiety and how a lot of 
these works by these uh, writers of color are full of assimilation anxiety. There's some, something else that a lot of these books have, but I think it's the flip side of assimilation anxiety, which is what I call assimilation signaling. Like things to subtly sing, signal, like, you know, now I have virtue signaling and stuff like that and status signaling. They have assimilation signaling, like ways to, and I think somehow her mentioning she's Asian, but back um, backgrounding it and foregrounding the um, religion even more is almost a way of uh, assimilation signaling. But I also think this crap of, you know, because BDSM, kink and all that stuff, that's a very bourgeoisification and a Europeanification of sex. Like that's like Marquis de Sade, nobles, um, you know, the uh, dangerous liaisons and all that stuff. This wasn't stuff that poor people didn't have time to do this. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is not something that I think people of color are really um, into. Even types of people of color who are most uh, stereotyped as being oversexed or whatever. Um, even the types of people who are thought of as having like a lot of sex, uh, like whether they're poor or um, minorities, they're still pretty much considered to have pretty vanilla sex, just just a lot of it. Like th- I think in a way, kink is also like an intellectual signaling. This is how intellectual people have have sex. Like boring vanilla sex is shows your lack of imagination. We're such cerebral people. We've even found found ways to unlock intellectual, using our intellect, extra levels uh, to sex. So I feel like all these um, queer people and women of color, uh, blue checks who are trying so hard to, um, you know, signal that they're into kink. It's kind of a way to show like we're special snowflakes. We're not the usual Asian or black or, Indian, um, whatever. And I think it's also part of the reason why they can't have a per- a man of color as their partner either, because I think he'd be too regressive. First off, to even be enlightened enough to, to be into this, you wouldn't be with the man of color anyway, because uh, the first stage of being a special snowflake is, I think, to have a white partner. Also, if a, if a man of color does it, it's no longer like hot like like um there's there's an episode of girls where they go uh one of the characters is in japan and they go to like a sex club and you know like japan is notorious for like kind of that kinky you know rope sex and all that but you know that wouldn't be the obsession for these people i think what they also really covered about kink is a lot of like snm has done this is pulled off this very tricky balance of saying things like you know, I like to get tied up and I like to get whipped, but that actually makes me a, a good, strong feminist because that means I trust, uh, I have so much power over the man that I let him have power over me, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think they, they're looking for that same answer to, I think, their obsession with whiteness, especially white men. And they're looking for that same type of uh, like just a validation that kink has, it's, it's kind of mainstream. Like kink is no, nobody would call um, like kink porn or, or whatever uh, as actually regressive. I mean, some do. I mean, if you go to like female dating strategy, the, the subreddit, they hate kink because they think it actually is just guys uh, getting off on on being uh, abusive. But the kind of liberal justification for it is, no, 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 this is actually empowering. I think that's what they're looking for. It's like, how do I have this, how do I turn this thing I have, which I think women of color and a lot of uh, gay men of color 
share is this obsession with white men. How do I turn this, which I know kind of looks bad, it makes me feel bad, makes me kind of feel guilty or whatever, or weak. I want to find a way to turn that around. And I think they see that in kink as as probably the only way to, to do it. Besides just like saying all the men of my race are patriarchal shitbags. I think it doesn't work here because this isn't really kink in my opinion because all the, this is this is fucking bullshit that's that's disgu- that's disguising itself as kink but this is about a woman who wants to get beaten by her husband and mm-hmm. that's not flipping the tables like the traditional that's funny. The traditional, the 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 archetypal like S and M story is an overpowered man who needs a dominatrix, a woman, to put him in his place, and she he pays her to put him in his place. Like if you watch, I don't know, and he, you know what was that show? Uh, billions, not bi- yeah, billions. Yeah. Where um the guy, he's a white man, he's a powerful attorney, goes to an Asian dominatrix, and the Asian woman flips the tables on him. She's taller than him. Paul Giamatti's a small guy, and she beats him. And that's how he gets off. It's a it's a subversion or inversion of um, the, the 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 actual power role. But but and oh, him, yeah, well, that's but, one type of kink. But a lot of kink is just no. But this, just 50 but shades. This, no. But fifty. That's what I'm saying. Is fifty shades? I don't think was. I think fifty shades was was see. It was. Uh, I think it got a lot of flack because it kind of kind of was fake kink in the sense that a lot of this shit to me is trying to wrap around like an actually regress, like playing into the fantasy of a man who wants like that is like, look, I should have power over my woman, but I'm living, you know, and this is being written in Playboy. It's for that crowd. It's for, this is for a straight white man, this story. I mean, just look at where it's published. And it's just saying like the forbidden thing now is to just have a dominant, a male dominant relationship over your traditional wife. And I I don't think, I don't think you're going against what Chris is saying though. Cause I think what Chris is saying Kind of overlaps, and what what I mean is this: if you look at if you look at billions and the Paul Giamatti character, yeah, you're right. It would be a subversion because I'm the powerful uh, lawyer slash you know uh, political figure, and I'm letting myself be dominated. But if his wife Wendy, um, you know, wanted to subvert things, she would be submissive and be spanked because she's kind of an alpha. Um, female her, herself like her being dominant is actually playing to type like i think it depends on on the on the woman like the 50 shades girl is kind of mousy and from the commercials and stuff so i think her being submissive because she doesn't have an alpha female feminine vibe that is like oh that is um playing into like um this white male fantasy she's just you know, being mousy, that's not subversive. But I think if you fancy yourself this assertive, um, headstrong feminist, then it's almost like a double subversion. Like you as a feminist are a subversion. So you... Yeah, but that's like, see, this is how kink fucks with you. Is like, mm-hmm. I think it's it's trying to... It, I, I think like, yeah, you could, you could see it that way. But in my opinion, like, I like to simplify it and just be like, look, at the end of the day, using this link, the, their on, uh, their language of how to describe it. I mean, this is just on, straight on, up on, on, cis hetero white male fantasy. And no, then, you know. I agree with you. It ends up yeah. in the same place, but they have to add layers of self-delusion through this fake um, double inversion. Like, you know, a double negative is a positive. I think what you're saying is right. They do end up in the same place. But I also think Chris is right that they can frame it as a 
empowering inversion because the first inversion is, hey, I'm not some mousy, um, you know, trad wife. I'm a, you know, enlightened whatever. Yeah. Then they end up back in the same place. And but I think at the end of the day, you're right. They're doing the same thing that the Fifty Shades girl is doing. But I think Chris is also right in the story that they've told themselves. They're able to um, frame it as this kind of uh, double inversion. And I think at the end of the day, but I, I also think this is what's at play as well. I think that the type of liberal guy that they like is someone who, even though he's bro in a lot of ways, he's also kind of soy. So uh, he will, like, for example, the Fifty Shades of Grey guy, from what I understand, because that woman is truly kind of uh, mousy, he's more of a, just an uncomplicated alpha male type but these feminist type of tina fey type women to me i think kind of like a guy who's a little bit kind of henpecked i don't know the guys they like, like a democrat yeah yeah democrat a little bit soy like like you know so the guy has to be just soy enough so that she can indulge the first inversion which is hey i'm a powerful uh feminist woman but also plausibly alpha enough so that when she does a second inversion, she can imagine him being the guy from Fifty Shades of Grey. So this guy, if you notice, he's kind of cucked, but he's kind of not. You know, he can get into it and spank her, but when they're home, he's about to spank her one more time, and he's afraid to follow through. Uh, did, did you catch that part? Like he raised his hands, but outside of the dominatrix office, he's back to his Clark Kent persona. Oh, I, I think I kind of like lost interest at that point, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it was pretty bad. Oh yeah, yeah, it's like the it's like a second or third last sentence, right? Yeah, 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 it's like the second last sentence. Yeah, I mean, it's all very complicated, but I will say this: I agree with you at the end of the day that this is fake kink. I think, but the way you kind of know it just by the virtue of the fact of the people who are into it, because blue checks are the most boring people on earth in general. So yeah, true. They, they're the fact that they're into kink already lets you know that kink is like gentrified, like it, like it's 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 um or or or, or sanitized, you know. I guess they gentrified because it was already white, but it's like um there's no these people have nothing transgressive to say about anything ever. Like in their hands, gay rights just becomes nothing but but wedding registries and, you know, bourgeois concerns. Uh, race becomes nothing but representation on Netflix, on Netflix and having a row of black movies on every streaming streaming uh, homepage. You know, it's like, so, I mean, I think it goes without question that kink in their hands is is not going to be Marquis de Sade uh, crap in people's mouths. and you know, 120 and, Days of Sodom. Yeah, yeah. They're never going to... Roxanne Gay and that crowd is never going to... That's too icky. It's going to ruin their IKEA furniture and their pottery barn um, um, duvets. They're never going mean, to be I, that. I don't think the story was trying to be hot, but it, it is remarkably unerotic, even though it's... Uh, I don't think it's trying to be. In fact, I think uh, it's probably purposely trying not to be and be very kind of staid. But, you know, for, for a story that's all about sex it's very unsexy have you seen belle du jour they they um i've seen they it reference yeah i mean that's a that's a much more that's a pretty transgressive thing right yeah like, you know where her she was getting off on being a prostitute yeah. and there's like, that uh there's a kind of like infamous scene where there's like that chinese dude who comes in with this like mysterious object yeah. and you never find out what it like is but the next scene yeah. hmm? mm-hmm. 
was like a bird or something. No, it, I think it's implied to be like a sex toy. Y- yeah, you never, you see, never what see what it is. And in, mm-hmm. in the next scene, it's like she's had like the biggest orgasm of her life or something. Like at first, yeah. she's scared. Yeah. You're like, what the hell was that? But um, anyway, mm-hmm. but Dean, I think you're, uh, I think you're right in that King has kind of just become meaningless now, which is why if you go to you know, the, the ladies over at like FDS, they they hate it now. And um, I think it, because it's just it's just become a way to sometimes just indulge in just very basic ass fantasies. You know, I want to be like the small woman who with with the you know big strong billionaire jock guy who just does shit to me. Uh, but you know, you gotta find a way to to kind of uh, you know make, present it a little better uh, because it, it feels a bit embarrassing if you just straight up say. That's what you want. You shouldn't be like you'd want what you want, whatever. Which is why I think um, uh, minority women are, especially in the blue, ch- well, more in the blue check class. I don't want to say this for everyone. Are so obsessed with it because it's kind of the same thing with them. It's like I, I think I have this like basic ass desire, but I want to find a way to intellectualize it and and romanticize it and exotify it. What, what do you think the basic ass desire is? Just I, I want to be with a white dude. Right. I want to be with a with a hot jock. Uh, quarterback or or rock star guy, or just, the nerdy just like finance. all the basic ass white girls that I am secretly jealous of or openly yeah. jealous of. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. I think like uh, this, and it's funny because like I do think that this is a way of trying to say like, okay, Fifty Shades was some white girl trying to do it. It's not it's not subversive enough, but like if it is subvert, it's more subversive if a Asian woman does it. And so there's even a part where they said that he she tried to get him into this by reading Fifty Shades, but they dropped it because it was so badly written that yeah that she yeah she made sure it. to throw right. shade on Fifty uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, and I felt like it was a low key yeah. way to show to throw shade on white women because I think part of the project is to replace uh white white women. I mean, one thing that is very interesting, I don't know what the Asian gay male creator scene is like because uh, I feel like there's a lot of um, prominent black. There's a lot of prominent black gay male uh, creators out there, especially now. And you know they're a big part of the blue check scene. And that's the one thing that they seem to have in common is this desire. To me, this desire a lot of the times to replace uh, white women. Uh, it's a very and they kind of like bond over it. But there's a lot of cattiness on this on the part of the. Um, gay mentored white women too. Like if you saw like slave play, the it's written by a black gay man and the the white woman character is pretty much a punching bag uh in the butt of all the all like the kind of jokes and everything. But the white man is treated very um differently. Uh the gay white man and the straight white man. And the and the black the black guy is a joke too. Uh the black guy doesn't actually do any penetrating. He only gets penetrated. The white woman penetrates the black guy. Uh, that's the only sex um, he gets. He's 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 the bottom, but he's like a jock type of um, black guy, you know. And and they they put all all the bad motives for wanting to be in in an interracial BDSM race play relationship are kind of put on him, you know. Like he's out of touch with his blackness. He's a sellout. He. Um, is clueless to things and he um, has no like racial pride and is, uh, you know, just, just all these things, you know, he has no real woke speeches or uh, he's not being, he's not given any fake noble, you know, uh, reasons for indulging in it, you know, except 
uh, he's just a, a horn dog, and the and the white woman is just um, a clueless, tone deaf Karen who um, has no curiosity. But you know, the white guys are trying. You know, they're like trying to be woke, woke bays. You know, and and they're like all the real intellectual heft is between the black gay guy and his white guy, and the black woman and her. And her white guy. And I feel that's kind of shown in the the Fifty Shades thing. I think it's a perfect example. Like, um, men of color are absent. Like, they don't even factor. You know, um, the white guy is pretty much uh, the male prize. Um, the, white, the white woman is either laughed at or, in this case, I guess because she's kind of an outsider. She's, uh, she's part of the kink community. I guess she's an okay white person. You know what I mean? Uh, she's actually kind of queer in a way because they kind of imply that um, she's sexually focused on the Asian woman, not the uh, guy. So I think she's also mm-hmm. basically their kind of like their servant here. I mean, she yeah. is the dominatrix, but they're they're the ones paying her. Yeah, I mean, they could just replace her easily. She's there by their money. <laughs> yeah, she she's the servant, but she's also not like a cheerleader. She's not like a hot a hot conventionally attractive uh karen type you know or or becky type you know so i think she's an amazon she's kind of queer coded and she's the help so i think that gives her gives her a pass too there's um you know back back when i was you know very active on reddit which is like five seven years ago there was this uh, asian woman who you know i i really liked her post so you know we send each other private message and everything. And she, and she told me this story that it was like this long story, I think um, came through multiple private messages that I'll never forget. And she was just talking about how uh, like, like Asian guys don't realize just how shitty white girls are to Asian girls or just, I think to, to any non-white girls. And she was talking about how she would have, you know, white female friends. And I think this was in college and they would always try to set her up with white guys, uh, even though this Asian woman didn't, particularly want to be with a white guy but it'll always be with like the leftover white guy that none of them wanted so it'd be like oh yeah you mean know, like mitch mcconnell <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so i guess they would go after all the the most desirable white guys for themselves and then uh you know the ones they didn't want uh you or the remainder you can have her and i also think that's that's kind of a way of saying um you, you want a white guy because you want to be like us, but you can't really be like us. Because if she was just like, oh, I, I, I just want to be with an Asian guy, then she's kind of like in a different lane. So, you know, they, they want her to be like them, but a lesser version, a lower a lesser tier. version of them. Yeah. Not only that, but then I think when they were around Asian guys, these white girls, they always felt entitled to the most desirable Asian guys. And most, inf- I think, particularly infuriating to the Asian woman is when they did that, the Asian guys would just be like, uh, just all over the white girls and think they were, you know, angels or something. Oh, and she'd be like, you guys don't see what's happening behind the scenes and everything. And I, and I think a lot of this, uh, you know, feminism by women of color, I mean, I, I think a lot of it has to do with litigating all those like social battles that a lot of us guys don't see. And if, if you just think about it, a lot, like so much of it just starts making more sense. So yeah, I mean, all of it's high school. Yeah, me. all of it's high school and college. At the end of the day, but but Chris, you've made this point in the past, and I and I actually really agree with this, which is just like, who cares? It's fucking bad. Like you know, like wait, the, wait, what, the, what do you mean it's bad? That the that the literature coming out is just bad. I mean, it may be true to you know their like quote lived experience, but if oh, it's yeah, not no, very it's, good, it's definitely true. It's, oh, it's, oh yeah, it, a lot of it's garbage. Yeah, but I would go a step further, honestly, mm-hmm. because um, when I read this, you know, this is like. 
I don't know if this is like, you know, elite class shit, but it, it purports to be right. And it, no, it, it definitely it purports is, to be, it like, purports to Asian be. American and, uh, you know, your average playboy reader is probably like, you know, a white dude that can't get it up in his like upper sixties at this point. Right. Like, who reads playboy nowadays anyway? It's weird. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, Playboy's trying to be who, woke, which is even weirder. Yeah. yeah. Like probably Charlie Rose <laughs> reads it. I don't know that kind of guy. Um, and it, it's, at the end of the day, like I'm reading this and I'm like, I'm not particularly interested in it just because it's, it has nothing to do with me. And it's just like a bunch of people who are trying to make simping for, you know, finance white guys uh, to be somehow interesting. And it's not like, and it, there's nothing titillating about this or interesting at all about this. This is bullshit. And, but the problem with it is, if you really see it for what it is and what it's at the end of like, if you boil all that shit away, you know, it's an, it's an Asian woman saying like us sort of like not so exciting, religious, maybe somewhat religious or prudish Asian girls really inside what we want to do. What we want is a dominant man um, to, to come beat us. That's what it's saying. And the reason I have a fucking problem with that is because like most of the Asian women I know have dealt with a lot of fucking unwanted advanced sexual advances by white men in the office or at school or whatever like almost everyone i know has multiple stories like that and i think it comes from stuff like this i'm not saying this particular story but it's the it's the it's the buildup of this type of thing where they're trying to subtly racialize or take over the racial identity because they're they're maybe in their little tiny circle they feel like they're not sexually empowered enough. Now, I'm not saying that is necessarily wrong for them to feel that way, but I think the effect of that to, is to say like, oh, I'm going to play into these white male fantasies that every Asian girl really secretly wants it. And that has real fucking world effects for Asian women. And so when I read shit like that, I'm like, what, what are the interests at play here? Like on the one hand, you're exter- you're like sort of like external, it's like a, what is that word when you're like externalizing the, the costs? These people uh, are like yeah, externalizing yeah. their costs, yeah. you know, onto Asian women at large to say like secretly we all want it, even though, you know, we're not giving off the signals. And what you need to do is, is show your aggression and then it'll turn me on. Yeah. Th- and it's just, it's fuck, fuck that shit, you know? I, but I think it's a mix of things, right? Because I think what you're saying is right. But I think it's also like what I said before about the status and assimilation signaling because if you just wanted to be dominated or whatever, you can get with like a blue collar white guy, Guido, and you know, some, some macho guy, and you can do some kind of bedroom role play with uh, that guy. But I think what these people want to do more than anything is, I mean, in addition to all the other stuff is to be very intellectual interesting transgressive because i think the literary side comes out too like these people in addition to i mean i think they're banal across the board and everything they do like their their race advocacy is just boring as hell like it's just uh let's get people of color in marvel movies and in young adult franchises you know their gay activism is boring as hell. Same stuff. Like, you know, let's get people on runways and in, in, uh, TV shows and winning awards. Like they don't really have any type of idea or radical anything. Like if you read some of the intellectual stuff of like someone like a Foucault or, um, Marquis de Sade, these, they had all these kind of 
interesting convoluted thoughts about power and punishment and discipline. And they would kind of think through, even if I didn't totally agree with it, like what BDSM intellectually was to one of them was, uh, had all the, it was very informed by a knowledge of history and class and power dynamics and French philosophy and um, continental uh, philosophy and all these ideas of, um, you know, what transgression would mean, Hegel, master-slave dynamic, all this stuff. Someone like Roxane Gay and this woman, they're not intellectually curious. They're not curious about anything. Uh, to, yeah. to, to me, they just see that smart people do this, so I'm going to do it. But because I'm terminally boring, everything, like everything else I touch, is going to become the most bourgeois, um, consumerist, dumb, um, boring thing. So these people can make anything boring. Yeah, because like, okay, let's just take the story. It's what? what I, there's like nothing, nothing's being said here. Uh, like, okay, so you, you inject the race thing. I, I want to know more what she's thinking. I would rather, there's like a whole paragraph about how like pathetic she finds Asian men. I would love to read that. I'd be like, thank you. You're actually saying something interesting. And this character is actually somebody besides someone named Jenny, who's like a little religious and uh, like some kink. But this, this story says nothing. And, and, and I think it superficially wants to be uh, subversive because it's like, ooh, here's this religious Asian woman who, you know, likes getting beaten and stuff. But in the end, it's just like, oh yeah, she's in his lap and, and it's like happily ever after. Like, what the hell did I just read? There's nothing being said here. And it's so, it's the same with like Asian American literature, so much of Asian American literature, men, women, whoever write it, it's always just nothing, nothing. It's a, nothing. The there. only thing and, it says is that we're here. We're represented. The same way we're represented in a Marvel movie, we're represented in your dungeons. Uh, you know, any place where rich, educated, enlightened white people are is where they want to be and they feel like if they're just physically present then by osmosis they'll be they'll be or at least be seen as smart or interesting or whatever but even the white people that they tend to be around are are banal and boring on themselves yeah, I think they're afraid of not being liked. I think they're just desperate to be acceptable in their circle. So they don't dare want to say or write anything that could uh, get them ostracized, which I think is just poison for literature and art. It's just like, you're not going to say anything interesting, which I think is so much of, like, everything seems to be perfectly so competent. That that seems to be, you know, your average, like, Netflix uh, movie series, competent. Your, your you know, award-winning literature these days, you know, very competent, all well done. But no, nobody's, like, Nobody's actually saying anything interesting. And they're afraid What's, of t- being a typical black or Asian person. What's yeah. interesting, though, is that like this, the the sort of like woke crowd always is using that term white gaze. And they're just like always complaining about how they don't want to write just for the white gaze. And then she goes and writes this story for the white gaze, <laughs> for the white gaze. Like, like, you know what Playboy is and you know who this is for. I mean, mm-hmm. I, Chris, I think that's why you found it boring is because it's. Has nothing to do with you. Yeah, I don't always want to read about myself. I know myself too well. I, if anything, no, no, I'm really no, bored of myself. No, not about yourself, but I'm saying it's clearly not written for you. It has nothing. You know, it's it's not written for me. I think I read this and it's boring because I know exactly what's going on. Like she is trying to turn on old white guys that can't get it up. Right. Like this is why they fucking read Playboy. They're trying to like intellectualize their old dicks. And sure, but even, uh, even in like Asian American literature, I mean, I'm just going to stick with Asian American literature just because like mm. uh, I've been reading it more and more recently. Uh, that's not in a Playboy. That's a, that's a novel or anything. Just 
never ever says anything and and it's just so and, and maybe they want to say something uh but you can just you can just feel them just holding back and it's just yeah but i think i think part of it is that that they write they're they're so comfortable or they're so used to writing with the assumption that male editors are gonna i mean this is edited by a white guy right this this compendium uh garth greenwell there's a there's a few other names on the cover i guess they're contributing writers they're all white dudes Alexander Chi, Peter Mountford. Well, Alexander Chi is half Korean. Uh, Garth Greenwell's gay, if, you know, if that matters. Um, I said, I said, yeah, but it, no, it doesn't, right? Mm. But I haven't checked, but I'm very sure there's no black guy, a straight black guy on there. I'd be curious to, uh, let's to know. Let's see. I'm trying to see if... They're always left out of this stuff. It's like, it's, like, it's like the Lovecraft Country writer's room. They they put just yeah. um, straight black women, uh, queer black men and women. Then they brought in the Asian guy and some white people. But uh, a straight black man did not cross their mind to put in that writer's room at all. Exactly. Like, yeah, like I, I don't want to. Yeah, exactly. Like, you you know who this is for. Like, and you know who who's going to be reading this and what kind of mentality is going to be, you know, judging this or whatever. And they always complain about the white gays and and they act like they're the ones that are pushing against this 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 um white they're the they're the forefront of like not being you know not producing stuff for the white gays but actually it's because they're the ones doing it and this whole story is for some old white guy to read that's it it's fucking boring well, yeah, like no Asians are reading this yeah well, well well Asian women like her might read it like well sure yeah but they're like a t- uh, like, yeah that's like a that's probably what they mean when they say we're not doing it for the white gays like if someone like her saying doing it I'm for doing other it for tokens. the Asian gays yeah uh yeah exactly it's like my my little circle of you know, Asian writers, I'm writing it for them, but you're pretty much the white gays. And you know, you know how it goes. It's like, I think they try to, they try to like glam it up and sex it up and make it seem like this is like a really like cutting, this is a sort of really hip, like sexy, glamorous, like literary scene or whatever. And I guarantee you, like in the editing meetings, it's probably like all these like super unattractive, fucking awkward people. (laughs) Well, they call them sex nerds. And I think they, that's for a reason. They really are nerds. Yeah, it's. I think it's the difference between what porn looks like and what the actual people who watch it look like. <laughs> but know? but like he's, the producers. Here's, yeah, exactly. It's, it's the porn producers that show. Here's an ex- <laughs> here's an example, and that's what and it's what this reminds me of. I'm sure there's like Asian American versions of this too, but there's a very popular type of uh, blue check black narrative or or you know alternative st- like basically. There's these type of black people who they act like, uh, and it's kind of a humble brag or a humble, um, you know, fake, it's a fake self-deprecation, but they'll be like, oh yeah, I never fit in among black people because I like stuff like tennis and I like <laughs> punk rock music and you know yeah. and they would say all yeah. this stuff it's like uh, I like anime it's like no it wasn't because of that it's because you thought it made you better than people and you wore it on yourself you know that you thought you were better than everyone or you did it to get away from uh, blackness you know and not be one of the regular black people and people pick that up off of you a lot of black people like anime or comics or tennis like you weren't just into anime but you were doing the the naruto run in gym class or trying to power up like goku like you were socially awkward and weird like like it wasn't that your taste was so shower ele- yeah. yeah it wasn't that your taste were so elevated and black people were but they kind of say those stories and they especially like saying it around white people a to let them know hey I don't really fit in with other black people. That's a sign I belong with you. And, you know, 
to also to make themselves look like a special snowflake, but also to make the rest to reinforce stereotypes about the rest of the race because them being um you know assimilated doesn't really matter much if the rest of the race is quote unquote normal or able to appreciate this stuff too. You kind of need the rest of them to be degraded. Like like to be to be the um savage that gets civilized and in a in a suit, you know, in the in the Tarzan narrative, you know, the one that's like the guide. Um you need the rest of the stuff about savages to be true for the contrast, you know? So uh, a perfect example is there's this documentary called Afropunk. And so documentary from a couple... Oh, yeah, I saw you posting about that recently. <laughs> yeah, and people should watch that documentary. It's very interesting. It's from like 2013 and it's all that same stuff. I mean, they're pretty honest about this stuff in a way I think they wouldn't be now because I think they've gotten enough criticism. It's one of the reasons why I think they say things like, this is not about the white gays. They only say that because they're used to hearing the criticism from people like us. So now you have to kind of bring it up and disarm it just as a token thing, not because you're really afraid of the white gays. You know, you have to say that now. They were saying stuff that they weren't savvy enough to lie about. So they were saying stuff like, yeah, sometimes I go to a place and I see another black guy in the place. I'm like, I'm supposed to be the only black guy here. Like, you know, they want to be the only token or they're saying (laughs) stuff like, oh, you know, other black people, they're so closed minded. You know, they only want to do this. And they're kind of making it seem like being into punk or all this stuff made them these special snowflakes. I think this kink is the grown-up academic blue check media version of they didn't like me because I'm into punk. Like they they just want to do it because white people are doing it and they think it signals that they have more in common with the white people they want to assimilate with than the people uh, that they came from, you know? So you're saying that they're actually kind of like throwing shade at 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 a black at black people black people that they didn't fit in with or uh, oh oh yeah yeah I mean that it's not it's it's for yes it's for the white gays but it's also to like give a sort of like underhanded disguised fuck you to all the black people that wouldn't accept them or whatever uh, or, yeah yeah but I also uh, think to a large degree they didn't kind of want to be accepted like mm-hmm. uh, I think to some degree they even if it's not conscious they make the rejection happen to justify crossing over. They, um, like, I don't think, because, okay, if you really wanted to fit in with black people, you're not going to get a mohawk in the hood with spikes and all that stuff. But that goes for anybody. Like, like, they wouldn't go to the punk shows that they want to be accepted by and dress like Run DMC or something. Like, that's just kids in general. Like, kids will... I mean, it's not special to black kids or Asian kids or whatever. The person that doesn't dress like the rest of the tribe is going to look... So the way that they're acting like they were so persecuted because they were dressing like punks with safety pins and spikes and nose piercings and and straightened hair mohawks, you know, it's like you didn't really want to be accepted at the end of the day because you wouldn't dress like that in in the hood. And the place where you did want to be accepted, you knew the uniform. And I'm sure you weren't going in there and talking about um, stuff they didn't want to hear. But I'm sure you weren't going in there and saying, hey, you want to listen to this young thug or, you know, you want to listen to um, Big Daddy Kane? Like, like, so I feel like this is the adult version of that. Like, um, so are you saying that they're doing this with the perception that it's going to gross out those uh, dowdy conservative 
uh, people of their own race. Like yes, black couples or Asian couples. I see. Okay. Yes, yes. I th- I think it's a way to push off against um, being a typical whatever their race is. I could see that because we. I did this pod about uh, Viet Thanh Nguyen, who's like a. I don't know if people who know who that is, but he's like a pretty in the among Asian. Yeah, he wrote The Sympathizer. He won like the Pulitzer. He's like the preeminent both novelist and academic in Asian American circles, right? Like he's a professor of ethnic studies or Asian or comparative literature at USC and all this stuff. And um, he does that. He does he does um, a lot of like he he pretends he's like radical, like he's very anti-imperial and all this stuff. And he writes a lot about how awful America uh, was. A lot of it is always it's about history. He doesn't really talk about what's happening now, right? except in a standard liberal frame, but he will, um, he will do a lot of shit that like throws shade at, um, at Asian people, especially like it's a little bit reverse for Asians, uh, because it's like the more like the ones that are like in Asia or the less, the, the ones that have come recently and stuff are the ones that he wants to throw shade at. And how do I put this? I feel Wait, as like opposed to what? Oh, as opposed to, uh, people like him like, at least. Yeah, like as opposed to like I think there's a bit of resentment at um like less assimilated. Whereas like here I know Roxanne Gay like she's a come from a Haitian immigrant family, right? Like mm-hmm. with Asians, I think it's a little reversed in the sense that um uh, are you saying that with black people the the immigrants look down on the like the American borns, but it's yeah. reversed. Um, um, I, yeah. I would agree. Um, I don't even think it's just that. I think the immigrant also looks down on the less assimilated other immigrants. Like, I don't think it's just, I mean, look at how Roxane Gay writes about um, Haiti in that novel. It was just a bunch of like rapists and kidnappers, you know? Yeah. Oh, she has a novel? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I thought she was but, a nonfiction writer. Oh, no. She, but, but I bring him up just because, like, I, I think what he does is he does a lot of like liberal pretending to be kind of like a. He, he, he throws a lot of shade at like Republican white people, you know, the easy kind where he's like calling out white supremacy. What a badass. Yeah. And he's like, I hate these white supremacists and these, you know, pick up these pick up uh, with gun racks and, uh, you know, uh, Confederate flags. Like, OK, yeah, whatever. Uh, but he also sort of like we'll, we'll talk about how um, there's a lot of like, you know, mis- misogynist uh, anti-black Asians that, you know, haven't really assimilated properly into woke America. American culture, or he'll he'll go so far as to say, like you know, people in Vietnam are like you know brainwashed by the government, and he you know they banned his books because he knows the truth, and you know the the people in Vietnam don't you know don't have access to uh, the kind of like erudition that he does as a as a diaspora Asian, and so what I'm saying is that he has this identity that's very much required to um, be better than both sides. He has to kind of be like an elite white guy who can look down on other white people. And he also has to be like this sort of, um, this sort of like I was educated in the West kind of Asian guy who can look down on the, just like, you know, plain old Asians. Right. And I think it's cause he actually has a very fucking fragile identity. Oh, totally. And, uh, and I understand that identity because, you know, I'm probably closer to him in terms of like class and ethnicity than, 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 than not like him. And for people like us, I mean, you know, and I, I read about Roxanne Gay and she went to like Exeter and stuff. And she's like the she black did? girl at Exeter. Wow. Yeah. And it's that. like. And also her her parents, they're not like 
uh, poor Haitians. They're like uh, Haitian professionals. They, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, a lot Exeter. I'm sure they want to Exeter. Yeah, a lot of these uh, Haitian people at Karina St. Pierre in the in the White House and a lot of these people uh yamish alcindor and the who was in the white house my mom tells me about their families and she's like you know she's mm-hmm. sometimes white people probably think these people like their parents came from whatever but they're like she tells me about all who these people's families are and she goes oh no these people are like the cream of the crop of 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 haiti yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 i think what happens is that we feel uh you you know to the extent that like Asian people who had like a lot of status, like their family might have had a lot of status back in like Taiwan or something. When you come here, you kind of lose that status, right? And so it's kind of like what I'm saying is like as the diaspora kid, you kind of like are worried that you're like lose lose, meaning like you're not really like a bona fide American, right? So and you're not really like a bona fide Asian. So you have this fear that you're just kind of like nothing. You're just like you don't fit in anywhere. And they kind of compensate for that with a sort of elitist attitude, but it's like a two-sided elitism. So there's a real sneering at like lower class white people and then a real sneering at like essentially like lower class Asian people. And they've got to maintain this sort of like extreme snobbery, but going both ways just to sort of keep their fucking identities intact, you know? I thought the sympathizer was boring. Yeah, one passage I liked, but yeah. Yeah. You know, to kind of tie together a lot of things that we were saying, because I think a lot of what we're talking about is all true and kind of builds on each other is, um, you know, I, I think a big part of it is like one part of being that assimilation, um, signaling and that assimilation anxiety and all that stuff, um, I think part of it comes from like uh, a dislike of the tribe that you're from or whatever, but also you kind of need to some degree the negative stereotype to be true or at least believed or your assimilation isn't really as as impressive. So a lot of times, like in that book that you're talking about, Teen, they will do a lot to keep a lot of these negative stereotypes alive. I think that's why a lot of these black blue checks love to talk about just how um, patriarchal and terroristic the black community is under the guise of wokeness. You know, like that that person, all those people that were talking about abolish black men and all this stuff that, you know, those tweets that uh, I was showing you guys mm-hmm, and, yeah. and how like the joy luck feminism type of stuff really wants to show how backwards Asian social dynamics are because it, you know, uh, if you're going to be like a uh, bone in the, like, it's like if you're going to be the civilized um, savage, it almost is in your favor to make where you came from look extra primitive just to make the come up look that much more um, Im- impressive. So, yeah, I feel like there's like, these people never really seem to be like when you look at all this stuff, all these things these people do. What does it have to do with any of their other work as far as feminism or race or queer or or queer issues? And it really doesn't. So it makes you wonder why did they all um, talk about this? And I think the reason why is because race and queer stuff is actually a symptom, not the main thing, not the actual main thing. They're, the kink stuff and the race and queer stuff is a symptom of something bigger 
and common. I'm not 100% sure what it is, but I think once you try to figure out that overarching umbrella and that private logic, it'll all get uh, more coherent. And I think we're dancing on it. I'm not sure if we've figured out what it is yet. The closest I can, the closest I can um, come to is that um, the overall mission is to be a kind of comprador class, like what, uh, what Fanon was talking about in his books. Like he talked about the person in Martinique who gets to be educated in Europe and whatever, but he's never really going to be a hundred percent accepted as a French person, you know? So part of his fortunes really come from being able to go back to Martinique as this new educated, uh, French educated, um, person from Martinique who dresses like a bootleg white man, you know, and wears the latest European fashions and wants to kind of stunt on the, um, the locals. But also he wants to use his power and his differentiation from the locals to impress the white person. So it's like, you know, they want to see the white, they want the white person to see them a contrasted against the, uh, terrible locals, but also they want to see, they want the white person to see them with the foot up the locals ass even harder than the white person would do. Like, you know, to kind of show them like, uh, yeah, I can't stand these, um, fill in the blank slurs, um, either. Aren't they, aren't they the worst, you know? Um, and I feel like this is the highbrow, all this stuff is the highbrow version of all of that, you know? Yeah, I think I think part of it is, and there's there's um there's a few good books that I've read about this where not 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 that uh, not what Fanon was talking about, but like how America's a little bit different because we're like a liberal culture, so we can't just come out and act that way. We've got to disguise it, and I feel like the comprador class to an extent, like when you're saying they're they're writing about race and they're right. Like one thing I noticed that you've been posting uh trevor on twitter is just like some of the absolute fucking nonsense that like race studies people like phds like put out um i saw some tweet yesterday where i I read the tweet like 10 times man and i had no it wasn't even grammatically coherent oh yeah that's the guy just tell her that guy is nonsensical and he'll be on clubhouse you should go on clubhouse and see him because uh he doesn't make he sound like that yeah he doesn't make any more sense spoken all those people they pal around on clubhouse and they sound just as ridiculous on clubhouse even more so yeah but at but at the end of the day it's it's about like abolishing cishet black men or some shit? Like, is that, is yeah, that what Yeah, they reading? use the word abolish. You know what's funny about them too? And this is kind of what- What's his deal? Like, isn't he a cishet straight oh, black oh, guy? Oh, no, he's, he's gay. But sometimes, okay. sometimes uh, some straight ones will performatively do all that stuff too, you know, where they try really hard to, um, you know, go overboard with the- uh, um, traitor to my gender thing you know like um i'm one of the good yeah, the ones. male feminist thing yeah. yeah yeah but no those guys are all those guys are all queer i think he's the purest form of all this academic bullshit being smokescreen and head fakes yeah because like to me it's like you know it's head fakes and so what i think is important is to like watch the feet like watch what they're actually at the end doing and it's supporting the idea that straight black men should be in prison yes that's it there's nothing else about this shit that makes any sense. And he's he's really useful in that sense because you're just like, look at the... It's like the smoke bomb went off and it didn't 
work right and like the fight it didn't you know the image didn't come and it's just fucking smoke and um i you know the things that i you know with the with the even that story that we read in the playboy thing it's like it's still to me a bunch of smoke it's just like uh i want to simp for white dudes with money that's what you're saying that's when i look at the feet that's what i'm seeing the feet i'm seeing a lot of head fakes with this and the queer and the this yeah, but I'm just like, seeing the feet going like, I'm simp for white dudes. That's yeah, you, you the play. Just, you just have to look at what's the end result. The end result yeah, is yeah. white men are the best and black men are these brutes. Uh, incapable of love. I even saw a tweet like that. Oh yeah, someone said, said that. Like, that during as, as if you're like some kind of animal. Like, basically calling you an animal. This is just like KKK language saying, oh yeah, d- these these monsters don't even have the capability of, of sympathy and empathy for others. And, you know, you know, all the rest of the shit they'll say about other, you know, men of color or other people outside of their group, even like women of, women of color who don't agree with them. That's another key point that I, I think we need to keep pressing just how vicious and uh, disgusting they are to women of their own group. That oh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, you know what's interesting about a lot of this stuff, right? Um I had tweeted about this last year, something about this uh, stupid performative kink. And one of the things that I believe, right, is that I don't think the people are even really into kink. I think it's like when you said they're just really into just uh, white guys and doing things that white people do and being around um, a certain type of white person. But just based on how boring, it was kind of like if somebody told you to do to engage in a hobby you find disgusting or a cuisine you found disgusting, right? And it's like, okay, you're going to have to eat um, blankety-blank food. And it's all like fermented fish guts and all this like horrible stuff to you that you would not want to eat. It's nice sensibilities. And you're looking around for the most um, least objectionable thing because everyone's watching to see what you're going to eat. It's like, what can I put on this plate? And you see something that looks like... um, like like rice and beans, but it has something a little bit uh like like bull testicle shavings, like a little bit. You're like, okay, <laughs> out of all the things distasteful to me, this is the one I think I can uh convince myself I like the most. That's how this kink feels to me. I feel like this is someone who doesn't really have a kinky bone in her body, but she feels like she's supposed to like kink to be the kind of um special snowflake Asian that she wants to be. You know, um, to be the interesting person she wants to be. So the best she can come up with is like a couple of minutes of spanking. Like there are plenty of people who don't even consider themselves into kink at all who spank each other. You know, like yeah, like they're considered vanilla now, right? Yeah, it's very it's very vanilla. It's like, there's gotta be blood involved, you know, for it to does, count as. Chris, kink. does she explain why she wears like eye black or the reverse mascara? I don't thing? know. Like, it it? Is that just like her signature? Or? I, I think so. It might have to do with some like insecurity about her eyes or something. But I think she's going for like a signature look. Um, right. That's yeah. what it is, right? It's yeah. just like yeah, it looks pretty, it's some it looks pretty bad dumb way to yeah. like you know. Trademark well, your you look. Know, it's like you, you, you want to wear like a like a like a fedora or put on eye makeup. I mean, go ahead, right? That's your thing. <laughs> it is the fedora, isn't it? Of like, <laughs> um, the, the thing is though, like these people want to be subversive, but you go and you know they're they're in the most just like they're all petrified of being canceled online. Like especially, yeah. I think the like literary Twitter, especially like, you know we all know how toxic YA Twitter is, but I think this is not that much better. I mean, like really, you're gonna be uh, some daring voice, but you, you're perpetually in fear of of like. 10 people tweeting negatively at you. I mean, that's, you're so chained, shackled, like artistically. So of course, everything you write is going to be boring and forgettable and, and won't last like a couple of years. All right, y'all. So 
that is the end of part one go to again patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two be good